is Geek Gab with your host, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, December 3rd, 2016. This is episode 76, Triple A Gaming Guest Gab. Now, it has been a long time since we've had a show. It's been so long since we had a show. I don't even remember when the last show was. It was like two or three weeks ago. I had to go through and re-educate myself on all of the settings. Plus, we have a special guest with us today. And so, also, I just moved. So I'm on a brand new internet. It's awesome. It is a recipe for disaster. But I have officially burnt offerings to the gremlins of internet connectivity. And so... I am hoping that we can get through the entire show today without things blowing up in a spectacular fashion. So let me go ahead and welcome our special guest today. Uh, Nick, welcome to Geek Gap. How are you? I'm all right. This is the first time I've ever been called a special guest. All of our guests are special. Ah, oh, okay. Um, all right. Now, I introduced you... Because it was passed along to me that you actually used to work in uh, AAA gaming. I, am I wrong? Did I misread that? Uh, it depends on how you define AAA and used to, I suppose. I've been working, <laughs> I've been working in gaming uh, for, geez, what, almost 15 years now? And, uh, I mean, I've worked at, you know, uh, Electronic Arts, um, I'm not sure if you would call the um, particular projects I worked on AAA or not, but uh, since then I've worked in a lot of uh, different mobile games, and I've 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 worked on well, let's put it this way: I've worked on things you've probably heard of, or like if if you've been in mobile games, you've probably seen an ad here or there for stuff that I've worked on. So. Okay. Uh, that is our guest today, and, and let's also welcome uh, our co-hosts back to the show, John and Brian. And I have been informed that in the interests of respecting our special guests, that we should bump back our usual, you know, bringing everybody up to speed uh, to the end of the show, or maybe next week, or whenever. So, um, But I'll just give uh, John and Brian a chance to... Uh, to say hi real quick before we start ruthlessly and cruelly grilling Nick, as is our usual want. Hey, glad to be back at the Gab. That week off, I mean, that's tough, guys. Second, it was like an eternity. But uh, a turkey and stuffing filled eternity, so it wasn't the worst, right? Well, not for me. I was working on Thanksgiving, so I like, I had a frozen pizza. Oh, well, there you go. Frozen pizza on Thanksgiving? Yes. Well, that sounds terrible, man. I'm sorry. I had all my family no, together in one house, except for a couple of them. And, and we had, like, lots and lots of turkey. And we had, like, all the traditional stuff. So I had a great Thanksgiving. Good. Yeah, I couldn't go. I had to finish up my manuscript for my third book. So I was alone in the house. And at some point... Uh, Realized I had a body that needed nutrition, so I pried myself away from the computer and just went turn on the oven like I had a pizza and then went back to work. But 
it was worth it. I, I have no regrets. It's That's better than my worst Thanksgiving meal ever, at least. My worst yeah. was a, uh, uh, I was stuck in college without any money, so I scraped together what little money I had and went to a gas station convenience store and got some cinnamon rolls. Oh. That was about it. when you're price shopping for ramen. I've actually done that comparison shop for ramen. <laughs> like, because... You know, you can price the ramen. There's the really, really good ramen that has, like, oil and spices and stuff. At the time, that was, like, 33 cents a package. Then there's the average ramen that's, like, 25 cents a package. It doesn't come with as fancy spices, but it's, it's still edible. And then there's the bargain basement ramen, the really bad stuff that was 10 cents a package. So... If all you need is calories. <laughs> there have been times in my life where I've had to selectively buy the cheapest ramen because that's all I could afford. So I have, I, I understand of which you speak. Mm -hmm. um, we have not had any definitive subjects planned for today. So as is usual, anybody who has questions can ask them in the chat and John or Brian or me will pick up on them. But, uh, let me uh, let me start with Nick by by asking you. We just had today the PS4 experience or the PlayStation experience. All the big announcements they did. We had the video game awards yesterday uh, with all of the advertisements and announcements they did there. Um, what is your opinion about the state of of modern gaming, of modern video games? Well, it, it's kind of funny you mentioned the Game Awards and the PlayStation Experience and that stuff. Like, the only reason the Game Awards even showed up on my radar was, like, a bunch of uh, news and stuff about uh, Hideo Kojima. And when I saw the, when I saw the headline said the Game Awards happened, I'm like, oh, that happened? Oh, that's still a thing, huh? <laughs> because, uh, I mean, it was the whole, you know... Uh, successor to the Spike VGA Awards and something. Yeah, I, I'm a bit more intrigued. Actually, one of the main things that uh, surprised me about that one was uh, seeing that uh, the game That Dragon Cancer was nominated. I was like, wait a minute. What, wasn't that already nominated last year? How is it to... Oh, no, this is the Game Awards, and I'm thinking of the Game Developers Conference Choice Awards. So, yeah, it, it's kind of odd with the timing because you've got... Video games want, speaking of the state of the industry, video games want to have an award show. They want to be able to do this stuff, but it doesn't really lend itself to follow the movie award show kind of dynamic because we don't, at least at the moment, we don't have an awards season. So you couldn't have like uh, the, the game awards leading into the, the developer's choice awards or or anything like that. So we have this weird split where we have that dragon cancer nominated spring of 2016 and then nominated in November of 2016, where you forget that it was nominated before <laughs> there's no like prestige game release date. Like there is for uh, film. Uh, don't they, but, but don't they have special release dates anyway? Like isn't the Christmas release like really important for a lot of AAA games? Oh sure, for for marketing, you want to get the uh, um, the Christmas release date if you can. The uh, so so you could build an awards show schedule around that. You'd probably want to have say, and I was actually talking uh, with someone earlier 
uh, about um, how you might want to change the timing for these things. Like say, have the game awards be the very commercial and marketing oriented one, have them synced with E3, which you could put into a more commercial and marketing oriented time frame, like, you know, mid to late November. So you can have everything ramp up to, you know, Christmas sales, but you, but at the same time, not be too disruptive to the development process. Because if you think about it, there's a whole lot of work that goes into putting together an E3 demo for the developers and it can cause other um, hiccups in their production schedule. And so then you could have that feed into this whole like, you know, award season thing. You have your marketing one that's synced with E3, you got the game awards and then you swing over the year. And at the end of the year, after the big sales season for, for the, the Christmas and holiday season, then you would have, after that, you'd have the more sober, you'd have GDC. It's a more industry insider thing and you can have their choice awards and their independent game awards uh, after that but still not so far distance as you would kind of lose track of what had happened earlier. Going with the movie industry analogy, uh, a lot of movie studios will uh, fund prestige projects where they're not expected to sell a lot, uh, but they're going to get lots of critical acclaim and maybe get an Oscar or something. Do video game publishers have that concept? Uh, not really. I can't say that not at all because, um, the, the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm thinking of it is there was the point in time where, you know, electronic arts goes through phases of if they're considered acceptable or not. And there was one point where they were considered, you know, they're terrible. They buy developers and they, they, you know, work them dry and shut them down. They, they just like, you know, suck the life out of developers and cast them aside. And then there was a point where they're saying, okay, we're going to try to make some more interesting, you know, uh, pushing the envelope ideas, some more experimental stuff. And that was the phase when the first Mirror's Edge game came out, the, the time frame that I'm thinking of. Um, so Dead Space the, too, right? Hmm? Dead Space as well came out about that same time. That is possible. I don't recall off the top of my head. But um, so if, if publishers and developers are going to have an open mind for this may not sell well, but it's going to push the envelope. Um, I mean, just look at, say, um, uh, The Last Guardian. I'm not sure anyone's going to be looking at that to, you know, be a huge seller because, I mean, it's not, it's not going to be a, a Grand Theft Auto V no matter how good it's been, there's been so uh, such a long burn to its release. There's going to be so much buildup that it's... And it's a game that I'm looking forward to and I'm going to buy and I fully expect that it's not going to be like worth a five-year wait, but I'm going to look at it for its own merits and, and hope this it. There's a very real possibility that in sales, it will not cover its production costs. But if you look at the history, you look at Shadows of the Colossus, which is a massive prestige sale, you know, and they've re-released it a couple times. Um, there is some consideration for some of that in there somewhere, but it's certainly not like this is what we're going to release to win awards. Nothing like the uh, movie releases would have for that. Um, by the way, Dead Space came out three weeks before Mirror's Edge. 
Oh, there you go. And the reason why, when you talk about the EA getting into this kind of experimental stuff, I mean, they basically took one studio or one group of people who ran with this really bizarre idea that was completely not what EA typically did. Um, very, very gruesome, survival horror-y in space and all that stuff, and produced a game that was really unique, really atmospheric, and, and it just seems to fit in the that whole timeline of um, EA getting wildly creative before they with Dead Space 3, cut back to trying to make everything um, Gears of War or uh, Mass Effect. So one of of the things you have to understand with some of this stuff is you can't necessarily... uh, EA gets more blame than it deserves. Like, you know, it winning, you know, worst company in America two or three years in a row or whatever that was. That's really overblown. And I, I say that because EA is a publisher, and generally speaking, publishers get way more crap than is appropriate. Because generally speaking, you look at it, and uh, fans will always give the developers credit, and they will always blame the publishers. If something doesn't work right, it's really easy to say, oh, the publisher was pulling the strings, and they were forcing them to do this or that. And it's, it sounds insane, but even it, it, like people inside the industry will say stuff like that. And when I catch them doing it, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and y- y- it makes sense from a consumer perspective where you want to look at it and he's like, I really like these developers. I like what they do. They wouldn't let me down, right? Well, they started working with this publisher and things started to change and, and all this other stuff. And well, it must be the publisher's fault. Well, that doesn't take into account that one, things might've been ready to change anyway. Two, the publisher, yeah, the publisher may be influencing changes, but a lot of the times it might be because they really needed to happen. Like you might look at, you know, some sub function in the game and think that that was really nice. That must be the developer. No, the publisher actually forced the developer to put it in. Things like that happen a lot. Um, And so uh, more often than people realize that the developer publisher relationship is, the publisher is trying to save the developers from themselves. Do you think the game industry has become more dysfunctional over the last like five or 10 years or, or is it? What do you mean by dysfunctional? I mean, it's, 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 it is a crazy industry to work in, um, which is part of why I like working in it. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's interesting. There's kind of never a dull moment and, you know, it's working in it is the kind of thing where, you know, you, it, it's not a question of, is there a fire right now? It's a question of, we need to prioritize the fire that we need to put out right now. That may not even be the biggest fire. There might be another fire that's just closer to something more important that you have to handle with. Um, I, I make that sound like it's, it's super, super crazy, which it, it I, you know, it's not. I mean, any job that you do day to day is going to have your own day to day. It's like you, you come in, you do your stuff and in the end you go home. But for me, it's just very engaging and interesting. So, I mean, you could say it's dysfunctional. Uh, and if you, I'm, from my perspective, I work in testing and for me, testing has become much more appreciated and respected and kind of solid constantly since I've been in the industry. So, I mean, 
within my own perspective, I could say it's far less dysfunctional than it used to be. I guess if you're, you, if you're referring to something specific, though, I might be able to, to give a different take on it. You're always hearing, or at least I'm always hearing, based on, you know, um, my sources for, of information, you always hear about the bad stuff that's happening. Um, Activision doing something bad with Infinity Ward's leadership who all leave, and they go fa- uh, farm... Uh, they go found respawn entertainment and come out with Titanfall and then Titanfall two, but Titanfall two, this is a new story I read today, just as an example, Titanfall two has been underselling what they expected. Mm-hmm. And there were some <laughs> questions about whether it had gotten, it got a far, uh, far less support than battlefield one. Um, despite a lot of people thinking it was a more solid game. I mean, these are the kinds of things you always hear. It's really hard for people who... First thing, first thing to call out, you, you said you know, less support than Battlefield. Uh, what, what do you... From the stuff you've seen, what, what do you mean by support? They're talking about advertising primarily. The Battlefield mm-hmm. 1 got a lot heavier advertising than Titanfall 2 did. I'm not saying that's right or yeah. wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, and that's where your publisher comes in. Uh, that's one of the difficult things in the modern day where um, with, the, with the proliferation of digital distribution, the role of the publisher is a lot more, um, um, I don't know, amorphous or uh, uh, mercurial or something like that. It's uh, in the past when everything was a physical release, you would have to, a developer is not going to, at, this, at the same time as they're making the game, and especially if they're a rookie developer, they're not going to spin up the ability to uh, uh, contract out manufacturing, printing, advertising, uh, contacting a number of retail chains to ensure store space and shelf space for your release. That is well, well beyond what a developer should be focusing on. That is taking business out of their wheelhouse. And that's what the uh, publisher is supposed to do. It's like, okay, you give us the thing. We will give you marketing support. We will give you community service support and and customer support services. We will get you uh, uh, shelf space. Uh, We will handle all of the production and manufacturing and distribution, all of that. Uh, Whereas nowadays... Um, because you don't have much, I mean, it's still there, but it's, it's not the level that it used to be of, uh, ensuring shelf space. Um, publishers have to support with advertising and, uh, community support. And some of these, some of these things, and even testing, uh, some of these things are going to vary based on, uh, the particular developer. If you have a really big developer, maybe you don't have to do testing. Maybe they'll do their own community management, um, but they will want some assistance and expertise with uh, marketing, or they'll want expertise with marketing in international territories because, you know, localization, for example, isn't just changing the words from one language to another. The cultural sensibilities are going to be different. You want to resonate well in a different territory to their different cultural sensibilities within your advertising. For example, you don't want to translate the word crusade to a whole bunch of different languages because that's going to mean different things in different places. So it may be that the switch to publishers having a varying role depending upon which game they're working on, you know, filling in the gaps in a developer's uh, skill set 
uh, or a studio skill set as far as, you know, if one developer is good at, at marketing, they don't maybe not need the publisher as much, but another one would need the publisher to do all the marketing for them, but, which is what you were saying. If, if I'm trying to restate that. Mm-hmm. Um, publishers having a more variable role from game to game or from studio to studio sometimes striking a balance or finding out exactly what a specific studio may need is difficult. You're not going to get that right every time. It's possible that what we're seeing as far as consumers go is news from inside the industry, people being upset with publishers or upset with developers or whatever are just the side effects of, of that transition. Somewhat. I mean, that there, there's kind of a, what that makes me think of is there's kind of a trend in technology in general to move toward. Actually, this is something that extra credits sort of spoke about. I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but it's, if, if anyone out there is interested in, in sort of an analytical look at video game business there or design and stuff, they're great. You can find them on YouTube, but they had an episode this week about accretion, which is just adding new, features and new systems on top of old ones and then if you didn't like the old ones the new ones are better and you just you don't actually remove the old ones they're still there but no one uses them anymore Uh, a lot of um uh tech in general these days strikes me as the same sort of thing where they'll just add stuff and or they don't give you tools to refine or clean up like uh google mail on uh, or Google business apps on the admin side is uh, pretty ugly. <laughs> um, things like that. So some of so bringing this back to sort of the publisher developer stuff. Um, there's, there isn't a one size fits all solution. Sure. There's probably depending on the publisher, there's going to be, some that will probably dictate some terms and there could be friction where if a developer wants to do things a certain way, but it's already been set in stone that they're going to be doing it a different way, then that doesn't work. And um, just sort of a lot of this, um, I'm not exactly sure the right way to, uh, I'm not exactly sure the right way to say it, and I'm, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, so I kind of apologize for That's that good. one. So. Well, let me, let me see. We have a question from the chat. So Ink Viper asks, if there's one company in the video game industry you would not want to work for, who would it be and why? Oh, interesting. I have had an answer to that. But, I, well, I mean, stories about Konami make me never want to work there. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but you don't like pachinko machines? Yeah, they're, they're getting rid of all their video games anyway. Well, I, we'll see. People say stuff like that all the time. But even then, like, you hear stories about what, the, what it's like to work for them in Japan and all this other stuff. I still wouldn't want to work for them. Uh, oh, I cannot remember. It's like. Uh, McNamara, I think the guy who was responsible for LA Noir, I'd probably never want to work on a team headed by him. Uh, he, um, the stories coming out about how that was run are, uh, horrible. Um, 
That's funny. That's the first time I've heard of, uh, of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like to, you know, you look at, say, headlines on Kotaku, and a lot of people are probably interested in, um, you know, news about upcoming releases, and I'm not so interested in that, but you, you give me a story about, um, you know, here's what people in the industry say about stuff in the industry. I'm more interested in that. So I, I, I tend to find those things more often. Okay. Now, now I want to get your perspective on blog sites and news sites like Kotaku, because around in, in my neighborhood of the internet, the, the, you know, the circles that I run in, uh, they're pretty much a joke uh, at this point, but not to, you know, bias your answer or anything. I was just curious, your perspective from the inside. What do you think of those sites? Um, a lot of what I use for Kotaku for, it, and they, they do have some good stuff. I, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, whatever, here's this thing, here's that thing. I don't like read every article or post on a, on a Kotaku. Um, I mainly scan the headlines just to get kind of a pulse of what's happening. And uh, what I'm more prone to read more in depth is actually uh, Game of Sutra, because that's an uh, more of an industry insider site. So you'll have you'll have people who work on games talking about okay, here's here's a review of of this and how they probably went into doing it. It comes goes into more of the implementation and instrumentation stuff. Or, you know, sometimes you'll have engineers there sharing code about how they did some pathfinding thing, uh, comments about, um, you know, uh, Nintendo and their announcements. Oh, and, uh, and they, do, like they do a lot of uh, post-mortem uh, articles, like analyzing yeah. after a game's release, how, how it did on the, you know, on the developing and the engineering mm -hmm. and marketing side. Yep. See, I... I uh... The kind of articles I tend to read when I go to news sites or, or that I really enjoy reading are game design articles where people talk about why they made different choices in mechanics and whatever for a game. I mean, I read all the other articles too, some, uh, or I, I am open to all the other kinds of articles, but the ones I really, really uh, enjoy are those are those kind of design. So you talk about L.A. Noir, and immediately my I flash back to some of the some of the design choices they made that were irritating, not even in you know, not bugs in the program, but just high-level choices about, okay, this is what the mechanic is, this is how we're going to make the save system work to tie into our, you know, the challenges of the game, and, and a lot of those choices kind of irritated me with L.A. Noir. I think we've got a full team here. I think if if D.W. is is the game designer and Brian's the writer, Nick and I would be the engineers, and, and he would be focused on testing. I think we, we could just, let's just make a game right now, guys. We should do this. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's make some mission scripts for Artemis. All right. Although although it was, it was really sad last time Nick and I tried that, it, it it was a very sad result in 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 a joke of a game design class in college. Wasn't wasn't that a, a project more so than a class? Oh no, I know what you're talking about. Okay, I'm thinking of something else. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, it was it was that a was a joke of a class. It was a joke of a class. Uh, it was sort of an artsy uh, game design class taught by now. Now this is going to age us here. If you guys um, if you guys remember the uh, Kathleen Ruiz of Bang Bang You're Not Dead uh, fame, this is years and years ago, um, where she was doing 
research at, at a university and doing articles and stuff on violence and video games. Mm. Yeah. Oh, we got the groan. <laughs> so we took a class uh, class by her, and, and you know we did we worked on a couple of projects together, and it was uh, I don't want to bore you with the details, but yeah, you couldn't see me, but my eyes were rolling back so far in my head that I had to blink three or four times before I could see the screen again. Yeah, this was this was in the Jack Thompson era. Uh, it was good, the early Jack Thompson era. Um, so let me ask you this question: uh, Being a site, you're not really interested in articles that are talking about what games are coming out. Uh, are there any games coming out you're interested in? Uh, well, I already said I'm interested in um, uh, uh, The Last Guardian. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Berserk, so I'm looking forward to the Berserk uh, Dynasty Warriors or the Berserk Mosu game that's coming out in February. Um, yeah, oftentimes games I get, I... Like, I'm not so interested in uh, your annual sequels type things. Uh, I like to get an interesting game experience and just sort of chew on it for a while. Um, well, that'll create... Oh, Tekken 7. I'm, I'm a huge Tekken fan, so I'm looking forward to Tekken 7. Um, but what I, what I generally like to do is, you know, games have been out for a little bit. They start getting a buzz. It's like, okay, I, I, I'm going to take a look at that. So, you know... I've I've also played stuff like uh, most of these were purchased at least a, uh, a year after they came out. Stuff like um, uh, Crypt of the Necro Dancer or um, uh, Darkest Dungeon. Although you know that's another kind of weird thing is is what what does it mean when something comes out because they've got quote early access. It's it's not a it's not a release yet, despite the fact that it's fully and readily commercially available and you can pay for it and receive a product. The only difference is they're saying it's not done yet, despite the fact that even when it's done, they're going to continue to develop it because it's software as a service these days. So they're going to keep making patches and releases and updates and stuff. So I like what a release means is, is really weird, but yeah, I've played Kerbal space program and, uh, um, just, uh, I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by the, um, narrative driven games some people call them walking simulators stuff like uh, gone home dear esther um uh the beginner's guide uh or i'm probably going to wind up checking out that dragon cancer someday um kind of um i'm interested in exploring what uh video games can offer as a storytelling medium and by storytelling, I don't necessarily I've mean a narrative story, but also just like uh, to to engender in the audience an emotional experience. So right, um, I'm curious. Go ahead, Ben. You, you had a question you asked that got kind of run over. Yeah, have you, have you ever, uh, for Nick, have you ever checked out Journey by that game company? Journey, yes. Yes, I did. That was, uh, and that's another thing I do is, is um, I, have, I have a PlayStation and a PlayStation Plus membership. So I'll use that to kind of just scan new things every so often because you just get something free. Okay, I got this drip feed here. Let me uh, just sort of use this to dip my toe in the water of a bunch of different stuff. So it's just kind of handy that way for me. Nice. So best narrative at the Video Games Award went to uh, Uncharted 4, Thief's End, um, and then obviously best games for impact went to that dragon cancer um is 
is the is the kind of narrative of Uncharted Four. Um, do you really think that's? Uh, I mean, is that the kind of thing you're looking for as far as evoking emotional responses in the audience, or do you think something like? Um, and I'm going more AAA or more mainstream big games here. Something like Last of Us, also by Naughty Dog, same same studio, uh, falls more on the line of what you would be looking for. Well, I've never played an Uncharted game. I'll be honest with you there. Um, my, my taste gets weird and I have a uh, very limited time, so I can't, I can't, you know, sample everything. Um, but from what I understand of it, probably, uh, the last of us is more what I'm talking about because there's a lot of ambiguity in what's going on. It's not explicitly stated who knows what, um, about things. I'd say that um, if, if you want a really good example on a larger, I'm not sure this would necessarily be called AAA, but it made a lot of waves when it came out. Um, Spec Ops The Line is actually a really good one because that is a game that, you know, first person, you are the main character. You are playing as the main character. The main character by default drives the narrative and therefore is the narrator. And this game has an unreliable narrator. So that, I mean, that's what I what I mean about really exploring what you can do to tell a story with a video game. One other game that's coming out, or actually just came out, that a lot of people have anticipated is Final Fantasy XV. After fifteen stupid installments, where they've invented cars. <laughs> they finally invented cars. Uh, <laughs> the thought of a Final Fantasy game, a game called Final Fantasy, having 15 sequels. And that's not even all the sequels, because they have like side stories and X2. Yeah, there's, and, there's three Final Fantasy 13s. There's two yeah. Final Fantasy 10s. There's the side ones like Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced. There's, well, I mean, there's, what is it? Is it Final Fantasy fourteen that got re-released? So technically, there's been two Final Fantasy fourteens. Yeah, Wait, it, and that doesn't even count because that's just an MMO. <laughs> well, 11, and, eleven and fourteens are MMOs. If you remember, they Square thought that the first one was going to be their last game, and they would have to close down. So they were yeah, that's stuck why with it's called all. Final. <laughs> kind of stuck with it after that. But yeah, it's highly ironic. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I gave up on the Final Fantasy series after twelve. Um, I, Final Fantasy Tactics is, is uh, uh, one of my favorite games. So uh, I was very intrigued that the game was going to be taking place in that same world. Yeah, but, our, our uh, taste is exactly was... line. <laughs> yeah, this, this will be the Final Fantasy Tactics Appreciation Club right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, then I got in and realized it wasn't really the Final Fantasy Tactics world. It was the Final Fantasy Tactics Advance world, which, you know, looks the same, but isn't actually the same. And then you get into it and you realize it's Star Wars, but all the characters are kind of s switched around. And it's like, I'm not down with the Okay, okay. You know what? I'm, I'm with you for the rest of this game, and then I'm done. And then Final Fantasy Thirteen came out, and it's the hallway, and I'm just like, yep, yep, I'm done. And it or not, I played through all three of the Final Fantasy Thirteens. I don't believe it. It's, it's terrible. I, I disbelieve. 
Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I, I literally just got 24 hours of my life back. And it was in the past, but thank you for that. Uh, I'm sure I made good use of it. I've only ever tried to play one Final Fantasy game. And I had to quit that after three, four hours because uh, it was just boring. That's, it was just tutorial. And then I found out later there's a 20-hour tutorial, and I was like, nope, I'm out. That sounds oh, that like 13. Yeah. I, uh, I've, um, I've played one, uh, six or three in its original North American release. Uh, I tried to get through four or two in its original North American release, but I, I kind of stalled out partway through. And then when I try, I hear so much good stuff about it. When I tried to go back and go through it again, I was just, I could not get past the slow text speed. And I was like, I can't do this. Um, I played seven for maybe 20 minutes until I decided that I could not stand cloud and I just put it down and never went back. Um, and I played through 10 and 12 and, uh, that's the extent of my main uh, franchise experience. I think, I think for me, when I, I, I decided to check out when I saw that, Square finally gave up on on making this weird world, and they just made the characters in Final Fantasy 15 look like a bunch of Japanese kids. Uh, I guess they're in a band, <laughs> who uh, who look like the you know the the kids that dress up and go out on the on the town in Shinjuku or something. Yeah. Right. It just and I realized I I, I liked all the other Final Fantasies that are in this weird, strange world, but. But when they make the cast literally just a bunch of Japanese kids, I was like, I, I don't want to play that. <laughs> I, I, I think the most enjoyment I could get out of Final Fantasy 15, I already got when I watched Conan O'Brien's Clueless Gamer segment on it. <laughs> I saw that. We called it an aggressive waste of our time. <laughs> Why would anybody ever play this? Oh, yeah, they're still outside, and we can't get out except by going through them. <laughs> See, right there, let me put on my writer hat, Conan and Elijah Wood created more conflict and dramatic tension <laughs> with their difficulty trying to get out of the room than the game had. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this battle is supposed to take, what, three days of real time. Why would you do that? <laughs> One battle is supposed to take three days of real time? It was something like that. It's, it's probably one of those big multi-stage fights. So it, it's, it's actually, it's, it's all considered one fight, but you've, you've like, you know, it's, it's, uh, you meet the thing and you kind of pierce its skin and go inside and it's its own sort of world inside and you have other encounters inside and you're fighting like pieces of it. That's what I imagine they, they would implement that as. Oh, so Bradford Walker in the chat uh, informs us they've just announced a new Uncharted. Okay. Like I said, I haven't played any Uncharted games, so I don't have much <laughs> to say about that. It's, it's, a, it's not a full Uncharted game. It's like uh, that extra chapter for The Last of Us, uh, Left Behind. Ah. Um, and so it's a it's a... Smaller add-on for Uncharted 4 is what I understood. Uh, it might actually be standalone, but I I don't own a PlayStation, so I'm not really... Actually, I do own a PlayStation 3. I don't play my PlayStation. <laughs> it's it's my Last of Us box. That's the only reason, really, I bought a PlayStation, was to play The Last <laughs> of Us. Um, 
all the other games that I had for the PlayStation 3 were games I'd already owned and played through on the Xbox. Um, so I would probably get a PlayStation 4 when The Last of Us Part 2 comes out. Um, but yeah, that's the news that I read made it sound like uh, it was just about, it was a little bit larger than, uh, than Left Behind. Uh, and so it's not a it's not a full game. Whether or not it's standalone, I'm not sure. Well, I, I did play through uh, the add-on for uh, The Last of Us, and I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was a, a nice way to expand on the world within within the uh, the characters that we knew already. Um. We are, well, we're getting close to running out of time. Um, I have a, I don't know. I don't have any other, any other questions. I'm trying, I'm grappling. Well, well, I, I want to take a, a minute to talk about uh, Nick's own stuff. Uh, one of the right. reasons why we asked, asked him on here, uh, I've known him for a long time. Uh, we we're buddies in college and he's been working in the game industry for a while. And if you, like to hear more about that stuff, that behind-the-scenes uh, stuff. Nick does his own podcast called Behind the Line, where he talks about life in the video game industry. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, it's uh, it's on uh, the website Enthusiax. Uh, that's E-N-T-H-U-S-I-A-C-S dot com. And I have a podcast series there and an article series there, Behind the Line for the articles and Behind the Line Radio for the podcast. Uh, I bring on, you know, a number of different people. They're not all inside the industry, but it's all trying to give kind of an inside the industry perspective and understanding for the consumption of people who are not in the industry. So to explain things like what I was just talking about, about the difference between the developers and the publishers, it's something that kind of comes up a lot. Um, but uh, I also have been on other stuff on Enthusiasts. I've been on uh, uh Hero Talk, which were where we talk about movies. Uh, we just put up one talking about the 2007 Beowulf movie, and there's going to be one that I've been on for uh, Stranger Things. It's going to be up, I think, in a couple weeks. Um, and uh, there's also another video game uh, podcast up there called Point Streak. I've been on there a few times. Uh, and if... I guess I'll just put it this out this out there. Uh, if there's anything anyone wants to hear me talk about or see me write about on those on my uh, podcast or articles, you can always drop me a line at uh, kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiacs.com. And uh, yeah, I, I'm always happy to, to get any feedback or views or listens or whatever. How do you spell enthusiasts again? Pardon what? How do you spell enthusiasts again? E-N-T-H-U-S-I-A-C-S. Uh, -S. So like enthusiasm maniac kind of a thing. I will, uh, I'm going to find your podcast um, and put links to it in the description below the video so you guys can go and check that out. Um, and then those of you who are downloading this can uh, can just do the get info and it'll be in there and you can go to, to Enthusiacs. If for whatever reason you find it difficult to type in the word, I will provide actual links for you. Uh, and as a bonus, uh, 
I was on one of the most recent episodes of also true. online radio. So if you want more of me, that's the place to go. Nice. All right. Um, is there a, what it, let me ask you the last question. And this may, you know, you can take a few minutes to answer if you want or not. Um, what is the one recent development in the industry, technical, um, organizational, you know, cool release that has you the most excited for gaming? The most excited for gaming? Either as an industry or a game or, you know, oh yeah, man, it tech, whatever. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm not exactly prone to excitement. So, <laughs> um, I think I, I can kind of give you two answers on the technical side. Um, the whole, uh, proliferation of VR, AR, uh, there is a significant possibility of very interesting things coming out of this. Uh, it's got a lot of hurdles. Um, I've tried the PSVR helmet and, the um the problems with proprioception like your your sense of uh, uh uh balance and your physical status conflicting with what your eyes are telling you is a real problem and it's going to be a problem for a lot of people until we come up with some better way to solve this or something but there's a lot there's a lot of room t for growth and development of this. So I'm looking forward to seeing stuff. Like I've heard stuff about using a VR headset to be a spectator within the map of say a MOBA and you can walk around and watch things not confined to any camera and you can look at it at different angles or replay and look around stuff, uh, uh, particularly for like esports which I think is a fascinating concept. I have no idea if it'll work, but uh, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, on the gameplay side, uh, I'm always interested in seeing new kinds, like I said, exploring what you can do with the narrative in a video game, exploring what kind of storytelling tools this gives us. Um, the... These narrative games or walking simulators, I think, are an interesting development. I don't know if they will continue, if they'll morph, if the stigma will stick around them. I think it's a little weird that some people might uh, rail against a walking simulator and use that as a, an epithet. But at the same time, there's a lot of praise for the Walking Dead games by Telltale and the other Telltale games, which are kind of the same thing. Uh, th those Telltale games are really on rails. There's a little bit of problem solving, but in some of these uh, walking simulators, there's some problem solving there too. Or in the case of, say, um, uh, the Stanley Parable, it's interaction between you and the narrator. You're, it's a walking simulator type game, but you're still making choices. Or uh, Gone Home, where you do have to solve puzzles. They're not massive puzzles, but you do have to solve some puzzles. So and you're suggesting that uh, Telltale games are walking simulators with quick time events added? Something like that. I mean, if you wanted to put it that way, um, I think there's an argument to be made that that would be an accurate definition. It's not the words I would use, but eh. All right. Um, I've gone ahead and added your email address. 
if that's okay, I can take it sure. out if you like. No, go for um, it. Behind the Line articles link and Behind the Line podcast, uh, Behind the Line radio podcast link. All of that is in the description, so you can check out more of Nick slash uh, Kinetic whenever you feel like it. Um, any last words uh, before we go, Nick? Uh, thanks for having me on. Anything else? Uh, anything else on your mind, John? Uh, no, thanks for joining us, Nick. It was good. Yeah. Uh, Feel free to, uh, uh, I'd be happy to be back anytime uh, if you guys want. Cool. You want to talk about more games or whatever. I don't care. <laughs> um, and Brian has some news. At least I saw his last tweet. Do you want to talk about that before we go real quick? Absolutely. First of all, as usual, the first two books in my highly acclaimed and award-winning Soul Cycle, Ethereal and Soul Dancer, are available through Amazon at links below. And... The third volume in the Soul Cycle, The Secret Kings, will be available later this month. All right. Um, I'd like to, to thank Nick for coming on. We uh, very much appreciated having you on the show. Um, our, uh, let me just run down this stuff in case you don't know, listeners. Uh, there, our show is available on YouTube slash GeekGab, youtube.com slash GeekGab. We're available on SoundCloud. Uh, do a search for Geek Gab. We're available on the iTunes Music Store. Do a search for Geek Gab. And we are also available through the, for those of you who buy Google and Google, um, Google-related projects, we're also available on the Android Play Store. So, uh, again, under Geek Gab. Thanks a lot for tuning in, folks. Uh, we've had a special sized episode today so we can fit in everything we needed to with our uh, special guest. Thanks for tuning in. This is Geek Gab for 3rd of December 2016. We are signing off for today, but don't worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.